Hello, and welcome back to the Royal Horticultural Society's Gardening Podcast. I'm Tony Dickerson, one of the gardening advice team based here in the splendid laboratory building at the centre of the RHS Garden, Wisley in Surrey. And what a gorgeous month it's been here in the garden. The last of the cherries early on, then the magnolias, and perhaps the wisterias never looking better. And after the recent frost, we've got now the flowering dogwoods to end the spring. If you've listened before, you already know that these podcasts are made by people who love plants for people who love plants, and gardens and wildlife and the natural world. Each episode is packed with features and discussions about a wide range of horticultural topics and practical seasonal advice. Coming up in today's edition, we go behind the scenes to bring you an exclusive preview of the preparations for this year's spectacular Chelsea Flower Show. We'll speak to internationally renowned designers, nursery people and landscape teams that are working into the night, pulling out all the stops in the hopes of securing a coveted RHS Chelsea Gold Medal. But before that, it's time for our monthly problem-solving session. RHS members can put gardening questions to our expert gardening advice team for free by phone, post or email, or any visitor can talk to us in person at our RHS flower shows. And as regular listeners know, each month on this podcast, some of the advisors get together to discuss queries we've received recently. So what's been puzzling gardeners this spring? Hello, my name's Lee Hunt. I'm the Principal Horticultural Advisor here at Wisley. Today I'm joined by Jenny Bowden, our Horticultural Advisor. Hello. And by Guy Barter, our Chief Horticultural Advisor. Hello. First question today uh, comes from Roger Anderson from Suffolk. I've been growing some young tomato plants in my greenhouse and the leaves have taken on a purplish discoloration and they seem to be stopping growing. Is this a nutrient deficiency? What do I have to do to correct it? All right, so we've got a couple of tomato growers around the, the table. And what do you think? Well, this is quite common if the conditions are too cool for, for the tomatoes. If you get really into spring and you sow your tomatoes too early, they need to go out into the greenhouse because they start to get leggy inside the house so it's very easy to actually put them out into the greenhouse and the conditions just haven't warmed up enough it ties up the nutrients basically the temperature is such that the plant can't actually take up the nutrients that may well be there so yes in a way it is a nutrient deficiency Uh, i think it's phosphorus that uh, is is the problem they're there but the plant can't get hold of them because the temperature is too cold. So basically tomatoes need, after germination at about 20 degrees, they need to grow in about 15, 60 degrees on an ongoing basis. And in May, the temperature at night especially can be quite low. So I, I would suggest that's probably what's, uh, what's gone on there. They can grow through it as the weather warms up um, but uh, it's not too late to uh, pop out and buy some plants that are already uh, well on their way what do you think guys it rescuable um, usually it is yes i think the thing to do is to examine the plant's roots um, everything depends on roots with plants and when they're in a, a pot um, they can be tipped out and you can have a look at them if the compost looks as though it's too wet then that's preventing the uptake of phosphorus Um, If it's too dry, it can prevent the uptake of phosphorus, but it's usually too wet. Most people kill their plants with uh, kindness. Um, In such circumstances, drying the root ball out with some kitchen towel, perhaps giving the plant a little extra warmth if possible, can, uh, can enable it to recover. 
if everything's looking good and perhaps you haven't been using the, the very best quality commercial compost, it's worth considering uh, whether to feed them as long as you're not making them too wet and adding a little bit of general purpose fertilizer, liquid fertilizer at that time uh, might help. But uh, usually uh, the plants will grow out of it. Can you overdo the fertilizer? Yes, it's quite easy to overfeed things. Most gardeners probably do in attempt to give their plants an excess of kindness. Follow the manufacturer's instructions and err on the side of caution um, and don't give them twice as much on the principle of a little is good, more is better. What happens if they get too much? Well, usually nothing, but it can kind of stunt their growth and it's a, a waste of money. Um, you can always add more fertilizer, but you can't take it out. So little and often is probably the, the best uh, procedure with these. We have an email from Lindsay Redcar uh, who says, My cherry tree came into flower, but there are now clumps of dead blossom and foliage as well, randomly all over the tree. What is causing this, please? And what can I do about it? Well, it's, uh, it's a quite quite a common problem. We get asked a lot about this, especially uh, when there's damp springs. Lee, what do you think might be going on here? Uh, with a pattern of the blooms going across, so you've got a scattering of dieback in effect. Um, it's very consistent with blossom wilt. And that's where a fungus gets into the, the flowers when it's damp. And then it starts to kill back into the, the stems and can indeed, if it's, it's quite severe, go back and kill the bit of wood behind it. So you end up with a bit of girdled stem where the water conducting tissues have stopped. Um, and even if it goes back further, it can take off little branches as well. So you might see bits of leaf die back later in the season. If it's not too much, it can be just cut out. And really by this stage, there's no point about thinking about spraying because the damage has already happened. So just snip the little bits out and make it look better. And also it'll take away those girdled stems. It is one of those things you might not see some years and then you might see quite badly another. So it's take it as it comes. It's probably the easiest thing to do. And do you need to um, clean your secateurs between cuts or anything like that? It's always worthwhile but if you're cutting into healthy material you should be okay but obviously if you're cutting through the, the areas that have been damaged then you might want to be more cautious but overall we're talking about something that if you're cutting clean material it should be fine and n norwood has emailed in to say my wisteria black dragon flowered well for about 15 years then suddenly died back new growths that appeared from the base are now flowering but they're not as dark as before is this temporary or will they eventually change back to the darker colour of the aptly named Black Dragon? Jenny, what do you think? This is a very interesting problem. It's um, quite fascinating, albeit very disappointing if it is your plant. Um, but what can happen with wisteria is that even after, even after 20 years, it doesn't really seem to matter on the age of the plant. But basically, wisterias are grafted. So they're grafted onto uh, usually uh, a species Wisteria sinensis and then the, the lovely flouncy um, top part of the plant which has got your beautiful flowers that you, you've chosen there, the i.e. black dragon, is, is popped onto the top. But even at an, at an advanced age, the top part and the rootstock can decide to part company. They, it's almost like an organ being rejected. And you may see some rotting around the point at the, where the plant was grafted down at the base. It may be soft and rotting. And um, 
you will know if it's a graft failure as opposed to something like honey fungus because you will get the shoots coming up from the roots. So the roots are still healthy, unlike if you had honey fungus. So when you see these shoots coming up, it all looks all very hopeful. And you think, I'll just train those up and I'll have a brand new plant. Unfortunately, as I just said, they're grafted and they're grafted onto a, a just a straight wisteria sinensis, not the black dragon. So the flowers that are going to result are going to be inferior to what you bought the plant for. So they'll be single. They may not be scented. They may be a very wishy-washy color because they're grown from seed and they're not grown for their ornamental value. So all very disappointing and it is best to cut your losses and dig up that plant. You would be able to start again because the roots haven't polluted the soil in any way but just try and get out as much root as you possibly can and in theory you would be able to replant with another wisteria because it hasn't died of a disease. Mr Peacock from Tilbury's emailed in says I'd like to have a soil analysed to check its performance and see whether it needs any amendments for my vegetable garden. Is this something that the RHS can do for me? Guy, um, what do you think about getting a professional soil analysis done? A professional soil analysis is always a very good thing to do. Um, you don't have to do it every year. Once every four years is adequate. Most soil analyses only look for the major elements, which is phosphorus, potassium and magnesium. And that's all you, all you need to know, really. And we offer us that service here at Wisley um, through a contractor who is one of the world's leading and analytical laboratories called NRM. So for £25, RHS members can send in a sample. It's a little more for non-members. And we send it off to NRM, who analyse it. Now, you could send it direct to a laboratory like NRM yourself. But what we do is we get our soil scientists to have a look at it and interpret it for you. So if you wanted a lawn, we'd interpret it for lawns. Here you want vegetables. So our soil scientists would interpret it for vegetables and tell you if you need to add any more magnesium, potassium or phosphorus. And uh, you can then do that before you start growing your crops. Uh, what it won't do is it won't look for nitrogen, which... Uh, it's washed out by the winter rain, so it's no good looking for nitrogen for that. Um, there's guides published which we can help you with on the basis of previous crops. The other really important thing it does is it tests a pH, that is whether the soil is acid or whether it's alkaline. A low number means it's acid, a high number means it's alkaline, and you're really looking for about 6.5, which is slightly acid, and we can advise how much lime you have to add or if you want to make it more acid how much sulfur so this is a really good thing to do um, but you don't have to do it too often what's probably not worth doing is having trace elements analyzed it costs an arm and a leg to have trace elements analyzed and what it means in terms of plant growth is, is unclear so for 25 pounds uh, you can have your soil analyzed and you know you know you're starting off from a clean sheet you can remedy the uh, any deficiencies that are present you can also make a significant saving in fertilizer most garden soils are very rich in phosphorus and in many cases gardeners need never buy any more phosphorus fertilizer for years and years um, which can make a, a, a really good saving 
The important thing is that this late season is that you take the sample before you add any fertilizers, limes or manures. Um, if you've already added your fertilizer, lime and manure for this year, then you won't get useful results and best to put it on hold and come back to it in, in early winter. If anything is amiss in your vegetable garden, after you've had the soil analysis done and you've remedied any deficiencies, uh, you have to think about um, anything other, other causes and the commonest cause is lack of water. And we can also help with that. Obviously, we can't give you rain on demand. What we can do is we can test for the amount of organic matter. And typically, a, a garden soil will have about 5% organic matter. And that is um, about right. That's good. If it's less than 5%, we'd suggest that you added more organic matter because the organic matter helps hold moisture and makes your garden less drought prone as well as being easier to work. If it's more than 7%, then you can probably, again, save a bit of money by not buying in great quantities of manure. Just use a bit of compost from your garden to hold it like that. The soil levels of major elements and the pH and the organic matter change very slowly. So you can just leave it then and carry on cropping and then come back in four years time and see how it's changed. And you probably find it hasn't changed very much, but um, at least you'll know where you stand. I have to admit that I've never had a soil analysis done on the, the gardens that I've um, grown and worked in. Um, and the simple reason for that is I can see, as guys described, there are lots of benefits. Um, but the plants have all grown really well. And by doing the usual soil cultivation of uh, preparing the soil well, digging uh, compost in around the, the, the plants before planting them, that's particularly for perennials and vegetables, and applying a little bit of judicious fertilizer in spring, they've all grown really well. So I've sort of drawn back from that in the sense that I don't, it's not an essential, it's a nice to have, this is. Nowadays, when we're trying to protect the environment, um, in particular, it's good to know if you've got a lot of phosphorus there because phosphorus can be extremely polluting. Um, so environmentally aware gardeners uh, will have a soil test, not least to check that they're not polluting the ground with um, phosphorus. Also, there's a strong scientific evidence that edible crops um, in particular uh, respond very well to good nutrition. So that if you've only got a limited space, in theory assuming you can all other things are equal you'll get much more from your limited space if you provide proper nutrition now for ornamental plants no one's really quite sure what fertilizer levels are right for them anyway because not a lot of science has been done on them it's extremely expensive to do experiments to test what nutrients are needed for plants ornamental plants are not very valuable compared to cauliflowers and potatoes so it's always guesswork so um, it's much less important to have it done, to have a soil test done for ornamental plants. But it's still worth doing a pH test to measure whether the soil is acid or alkaline. This is very cheap if you have it done by a laboratory. It's even cheaper and you get a fair result by buying a test kit um, from any good garden centre which can work out what the pH is. The RHS Gardening Advice Team. Contact details for the team can be found on the advice pages of our website. There you can also find details of how you can become a member of the RHS, so you can use our advisory service for free at any time of the year. One of the other benefits of joining the RHS is free access to our four gardens, plus free or discounted access to our partner gardens. There are over 200 wonderful and diverse partner gardens located all around the UK and abroad. You can find details and search for them by location at rhs.org.uk 
forward slash partner gardens. In May, there are lots of garden activities for you to enjoy. Here's a selection of what's on offer over the coming weeks. To end the half-term week, join the Harrogate and Ripon Beekeepers Association at Harlow Carr on the 3rd and 4th of June for a beekeeping weekend. See live bee demonstrations, activities, and get lots of information on bees and beekeeping. A new exhibition starts at Hyde Hall and the other RHS gardens, as well as the Lindley Library in London on the 1st of June, celebrating 50 years of BBC Gardener's World and exploring changes in gardening trends over the lifetime of the show from the 1960s to the present day. Get your younger gardeners delving into the weird and wonderful world of bugs and slugs this May half term, the 27th of May to the 4th of June, at RHS Garden Rosemore, with craft workshops, bug encounters and more. Keeping with the Young Gardeners theme, enjoy a fantastic family day out with our brand new family garden show at Wisley from the 1st to the 4th of June. Packed with fun and educational activities from edible bug making to seed sowing and insect hotel making. Full details of all events and many more are on our website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash event search. And another RHS event which is almost upon us is of course the world famous Chelsea Flower Show. This annual floral extravaganza begins with a bang, or rather a pop of champagne corks, on Monday the 22nd of May. Visitors from around the world, and of course the Queen and the Royal Family, descend on the grounds of the Royal Hospital in London for a celebration of the very best in gardening. The weeks before the show sees the site transformed into a frenzy of activity. Strolling Chelsea pensioners are replaced by earth movers and articulated lorries packed with trees and flowers. And scores of constructors, landscapers and gardeners frantically work round the clock to recreate the gardens of the designer's imagination in their showground plots. It's a monumental task, awe-inspiring and very, very loud. A far cry from the calm picture of horticultural perfection that greets the judges and visitors when the show opens. To get a taste of the action and a sneak preview of some of the fabulous exhibits under construction, the podcast team donned their safety boots and high-vis jackets and went to visit the showground. Hello, my name is James Alexander Sinclair and I'm a garden designer and I am standing in the hubble and bubble of uh, Chelsea 2017 because it's it's build-up time. Chelsea Build Week, as we as everybody knows, is, is a time of, of maelstrom and chaos and noise and saws and lorries and plants and, and, and chaos. But actually, I think it's been rather fun. Uh, and I haven't done a Chelsea garden for 18 years. Uh, so, and things have changed slightly. For example, the, the invention of the high-visibility vest. They didn't have them in those days. And we used just to hang around smoking pipes and wearing tweed plus fours, basically. Um, so, 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 so what I have been lucky enough to do this year is to be involved in the Radio 2 Feel Good Gardens, which is a sort of new feature that's been put on by the RHS. Uh, and it runs along the Royal, Royal Hospital Way, which means we have this amazing Christopher Wren background to the gardens. Uh, and the idea, basically, is that it is based on the five senses. So we go uh, touch, scent, sound, taste, and uh, what's the other one? Sight, sight, that's, that's the other one. Uh, and uh, the RHS rang me and asked me if I would like to design a garden to do with sound. And so that is what I have done. So each of the gardens is 10 meters by 10 meters. And it's got this nice sort of hornbeam hedge background. So you have this sort of, sort of manageable box. We didn't have quite as much time to design and organise these things as one would do normally in a show garden, and because it's an RHS feature, obviously it is not being judged. Um, however, they are still, you know, decent size, good, proper, proper show gardens with, with, you know, good designers and great plants and good landscapers and everything going brilliantly.
So this is a joint venture between the RHS and BBC Radio 2 who are celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. Um, and so each of the gardens is uh, named after one of the presenters. So Jeremy Vine has Touch and Joe Wiley has Scent and uh, Chris Evans has Taste and Annika Rice has Sight and because I'm doing the sound garden I have Zoe Ball. Uh, so, so my garden, officially, its official title is the Zoe Ball Listening Garden, uh, and so this is this is a sort of lovely thing, you know, and it means that Chris Evans is going to present his uh, breakfast show on Monday from the gardens here, and so we're going, all going to be, be involved in that, and that's something to look forward to, and that's something that will be fun. My name's Kate Saville. I'm one of the designers, uh, along with Tamara Bridge, uh, building the scent garden. So we've been very fortunate to work with. Um, the fabulous fragrance designer Joe Malone that's been amazing we went to a meeting and uh, discussed loads of ideas that we could um, create the garden with and she was uh, very inspirational and we came up with a brilliant idea of using or incorporating scent memories so um, we'd, we'd come up with an idea of a very curvaceous uh, flowing wall um, and she had sort of given us a bit more of a grounding um, by saying, calling it the scent memory wall. So um, this is kind of our real basis, our hardcore to our garden. When we first realised we were going to be looking at scent, it immediately, for both of us, became quite nostalgic. So it wasn't so much um, the idea of smelling particular flowers, it's like, oh my gosh, what does that smell remind me of? And, or a certain thing that you absolutely love as a child or growing up. And a scent memory is sort of basically that. So it could be anything from um, dusty vinyls to lawn uh, mowing, cutting the grass, um, anything like that. And it's so personal. And we were really excited to be able to ask friends, family, put it out on social media and kind of explore what other people's scent memories were. And it was nice that some overlap, some were completely, you know, off the wall. <laughs> Literally, that's a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's quite an interactive garden. So it's been nice to involve, you know, the wider community in our project so it's not just our garden that we're attached to but it's also you know we've managed to branch out and ask loads of people. Um, I'm Joe Wiley from Radio 2 and we are in the Radio 2 Feel Good Gardens and this is the Scent Garden. And I'm Joe Malone and have loved every single second of working with Kate and Tamara on this project. Well, when I first met with uh, Tamara and Kate, we sat in in my shop and with all the plans for it all and looked at it and we wanted to bring, you know, how your memory and kind of scent are so connected that you can think of a smell and it recreates you back to that. That's what this garden is very much about, this whole scent wall. You can see all the scent memories all along from um, fresh puppies to sugar beet to tomato plants growing so it, it creates these wonderful memories and we wanted people to stand in the garden and what was their memory what what brought back you know something that had happened in their past or even maybe in their future I contributed a memory um, this is going back to when I was a child and the person who got me into gardening was my granddad and he used to have a greenhouse and I just remember walking into the greenhouse and it was hot and steamy and the smell of those pungent tomatoes and that's on the wall there here. There's yours. <laughs> Mine is not so um, chic as that. Mine are horses muzzles. <laughs> I love the smell of horses and leather saddles and um, I love my horse Josie who I ride every year so my scent memory is horses muzzles. The thing I love about this garden, as well as the 
the scent wall is the planting and the different structures, uh, the way they contrast. So there's an angelica, which is really tall and majestic and has the most incredible flower. But then that's contrast with the roses that are around and the grasses and then the astrangia that is down here. I love astrangia. So that's possibly my favourite, the angelica and the astrangia. I love the foxgloves. They're very dramatic and they make a real statement they stand and of course it has to be the white roses just there they have this really light cologne lemony smell and it takes me back to being a child in our family garden my name is john wheatley and we're doing a couple of exhibits this wonderful taste exhibit one of the feel good gardens um, i'm really so pleased to be doing this because what we tried to do is demonstrate happy healthy horticulture. We're going a whole range of vegetables and a whole range of edible flowers that represents what's going on in the various communities throughout the British Isles at this point in time. We're using a whole range of sort of new veg from abroad, a lot of traditional stuff, but the real inspiration is to try and get children, young people back into gardening. The majority of the vegetables there represent some of the very latest of cauliflower and broccoli and kales. We're also going to use some of these wow lettuce that are in this cover at the moment. We're not going to put those out today because, of course, we've got thunderstorms scheduled for tonight. And I want it to look absolutely perfect on opening day here at Chelsea. We're also using a whole range of herbs, some interesting new dahlias. We're actually putting those here because dahlias are a big thing in Mexico and they're edible, the flowers and the tubers. And they're being used in parts of rural Mexico to make cake and things like that which really you're you're a bit surprised at that aren't you but i was there last year and saw that and that was fabulous to me so we're also using a whole range of things like strawberries fruit we've got a meddler here and a beautiful olive tree the other thing is what we've tried to do is to use a very practical open growing unit that most people could afford and have in their gardens my passion is to demonstrate horticulture to everyone in the UK. It would be wonderful in the future if we could grow much more of our own food. And to finish with, if you look at all these tins, all recycled material. We're great believers in using the water that comes off and we'll recycle the water, but we've also recycled all the material from the recycled brick all the way through the project. So we're practicing the concept of environmental management as well as horticulture. And the other great thing about this is it's all organic. Vegetables have texture, form, colour, and I'm really inspired already by these wonderful kale with the purple stems, and we put the thyme there. Can you see how we've done it? And we picked up on the colour of the olive. And for me, it's repetition. I do believe in plant structure as a key to design. I don't need a lot of ornaments. I can create my pictures with plants. And I'm a great believer in flowers as well as textures and forms. I love the power of flowers. And I'm really grateful for the RHS giving me the opportunity to do something that I've wanted to do for a long, long time, which is an outside garden here at Chelsea. Mary Berry um, spoke to me the other day, and Chris Evans is going to be appearing here with the Radio 2 Roadshow. And we have some really interesting colour flowers that we're bringing in to sort of match Chris, perhaps. And hopefully he'll enjoy it as much as we will. My name's Matt Keatley. I'm working on the RHS Feel Good Gardens. We've got the Jeremy Vine Texture Garden. The, the obvious thing for me to do was contrasting textures, so both within the hard and the soft landscaping you see variation on materials. And the idea is, for me and for, for all of us, I imagine, listening, like-minded people, we're, we always tend to interact with garden spaces. We're, we're drawn in, we want to interact with the plants, with possibly some of the hard landscaping materials. And our garden and the four others next to us have, I think, attempted to just 
create something or accentuate those feelings. So you start at the front of our space with a path laid out on a perspective. So it tapers down to a narrow point at the back and the idea being it feels much bigger than the space actually is 10 metres by 10 metres. You've then got a 3D wall at the back which has three or four different render finishes. And again, as, as I said, it's, it's a way of interacting with the garden. I want people to, to feel like they need to go down the garden and touch the hard landscaping materials, brush past the grasses as they, as they move up the path. And, and what you'll see is the hard landscaping is very geometric. Lots of fragments, which, which has given me a good chance to split the materials up. I've, I've created a juxtaposition between the hard and the soft. So you've got all these very sharp lines right up against fairly organic forms with the, with the pine. I've, I've been referring to them as blobs. That's the best way to describe them, really. Just a number of different sized blobs. Uh, and then we're hoping to finish it off with some very, very soft, elegant, feathery planting. Uh, again, just a, a really nice way to, to contrast the planting scheme. I'm Darren Hawkes and I'm the designer for Linklater's Garden for Maggie's. Maggie's is a charity that was set up just over 20 years ago um, by the late Maggie Keswick Jenks and there are Maggie centres now throughout um, England, Scotland and Wales and, and international uh, ones now and they provide support for people living with cancer and their buildings are recognisable mostly because they've been designed by um, award-winning international architects and many notable garden designers also design their outside spaces so as well as the fantastic sort of emotional and practical support they offer they offer that support in spaces which are inspired and beautiful and healing and homely unlike a hospital setting and that's what makes them so unique and so special and so this garden is really based on that Maggie's brief which has been given to over 20 architects and garden designers um, the same brief for every centre and we've tried to sort of do that here with a more of a show angle and created this enclosed space I did a garden on this plot in 2015 and I, I said I want to come back to the same plot but I want to put a stonking great big 10 foot hedge all the way around it and um, they said well how are people going to see and I said well can we have a walkway at the back of the plot rather than at the front so we've got uh, also a first not uh, the first enclosed garden at Chelsea but also it's very very unusual and I don't know that it's been done before where the public are invited to walk through the garden and so our visitors will come up a tree-lined avenue or hedge-lined avenue of steps and along the back of the garden and look down into a sunken garden and they, they sort of walk through this um, hedge-lined pathway and then back out the other side. And I think that, that creates a really nice sense of engagement with the garden and, and being in a sort of secure and safe and, and beautiful space which is removed from the rest of the show. Behind the scenes at the build-up for the RHS Chelsea Flower Show 2017. The show is open to the public from the 23rd to the 27th of May in the grounds of the Royal Hospital in London. You can find reports, photographs and videos from the show on the RHS website. And don't forget there's extensive BBC TV coverage throughout the show. Well, that's all we have time for in this edition. We'll be back in a fortnight. For now, from me, Tony Dickerson and all here at Wisley, goodbye. Goodbye.